Party. Yeah! When that robot voice pops in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to ELC. Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Or hey, maybe you're better in yourself. Maybe you're, you got some other things on your mind. Maybe. Oh, I don't know what you're doing, but we're glad you're with us. We're <laughs> going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash dlcpod. They bring the show to you. They make this show possible. Their generosity and support means we get to keep making these. And in return, they get some cool perks, including ad-free versions of the show, video versions of the show on demand, and bonus content galore. One might even say, up the wazoo. There's so much bonus content, including paid DLC, the uh, the Wednesday program with Lana Bashinsky joining Christian and I to talk about whatever's on our minds. It's good, clean fun. And uh, it's available to patrons at the Cool Ranch level on Wednesdays every single week. We also have an entire full season of a show called Feeling This, where Alex Solman and Christian Spicer talk about the feelings behind video games. Season two coming soon. We got spoiler chats, uh, Jedi Survivor spoiler chat right around the corner. Maybe by the time you even hear this, you'll be able to hear that. All for supporting the show at patreon.com slash dlcpod. But this show, the main show, the, the, the fl- your flagship program right here, your DLC, it's the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I was muted there because I just had to listen for a little bit. Oh, it's feel oh mm, ah, feels as good as uh down 03 in the Western Conference Finals is how good that feels. But that wasn't the bet. The bet wasn't the Western Conference Finals where your Denver Nuggets that you refuse to claim as your own are yeah. destroying my Los Angeles Lakers. Nay! The bet was Jeff's team from a city in which he has not lived in probably over two decades, <laughs> getting dismantled by my old men of the Los Angeles Lakers. And man, Jeff, I am so happy to be here doing this show with you this week. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a man of my word. I kept my word. Uh, congratulations to the Los Angeles Lakers, the getting the privilege to lose in the next round of the playoffs. The Nuggets um, look so good. <laughs> they do look very good. The only thing I would ask is, how them uh, Houston Rockets doing, Christian? How's that? How's the that the what? The the what? Yeah, the Rockets. The who? The, I don't know you're, them. Your A team? How are they doing? No, they're my original team. In 94, yeah. 95, they did great, Jeff. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good year. It was a good year. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are not here to talk sports, uh, although I'm eating crow. You know, I, a wager's a wager, and you heard it. Christian is my friend. Ooh. 
It's, uh, that, that felt genuine to me. I know, I know why you are an actor. That felt yeah, real. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, but we're not here to talk sports. No, we're here to talk video games, and we got so much to talk about. What a week of news. All kinds of really juicy, interesting things to dig into. We got big games. Oh, the biggest of games. Still trucking along. Still talking about the big games. And, ladies and gentlemen, we have an awesome guest to do that with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, I'm so excited because DLC stands for drawing, literature, and casts. Because we have <laughs> artist and writer as well as the co-host of the End of the Ether podcast. It's Stephen Hilger joining us for the first time. Stephen, how are you? Oh, my God. I'm great. That that was maybe the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. That was great. Uh <laughs> Drawing and literature. I might actually just introduce myself that way from now on. You're, you're more than welcome. Yes, it is <laughs> yours now. Here. Yeah. No, like literally yes. with that audio clip, though, Jeff. That's what you understand. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I yeah, love it. I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, we're both big fans of Into the Aether, and we're glad to have you on the show. Uh, let's jump right into it and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send comments, questions, anything you'd like us to know. We love hearing from you. dlcfeedback at gmail.com is where you get in touch with us directly. Indirectly, there are ways to get in touch with us and be part of the community. You can post on our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And we have a Discord where folks are hanging out, posting comments, talking about life and video games and all kinds of other stuff. All you got to do is cruise over to load up your Discord app and cruise on over to 5x5dlc in the Discord. Uh, great folks hanging out, talking games. I urge you to take part. But Stephen, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week so a lot of a lot of good choices here um i kind of need to talk about the mortal Kombat one trailer uh yeah just to kind of i feel like it's something where if you watch that and you don't share the experience with a friend you'll dream about it or like have a nightmare later so <laughs> i'd love to kind of close read it so i first of all i think it's really exciting that and i'm not the first to point this out but like the fact that we're getting a new Street Fighter, Tekken, and Mortal Kombat kind of all around the same time, yes. I think, is really exciting. Because I'm yes. I'm a huge fan of fighting games, but I feel like I'm kind of cursed to be this like middle tier of fighting game player. Where like when a new fighting game comes out that I that I enjoy, I'll get really into it and like really choose a character that I want to get good with, and then I get good enough that none of my friends want to play with me. Oh. But I'm, I'm nowhere near the people that are like online making YouTube videos about combos or whatever. You're in the uncanny valley of skill. Yeah, <laughs> that should be my intro. <laughs> forget, forget, forget literature and drawing. Um, but I bring all that up because I think when there are really so you know uh, the last fighting game I got really into was Guilty Gear Strive, which is an awesome game. Um, but I think because that game is a little bit more niche than like street fighter mortal Kombat, the falling off point is much shorter because i think like after the first few months of the game coming out the people that have stuck around are the ones that are like that is the game they play right. um, and what i'm looking forward to is with the game like mortal Kombat, 
I feel like there's just more people there to going to check it out because it's, it's, it's such a known thing. Right. I'm looking forward to having the uncanny valley of skill linger <laughs> a little bit longer. But I love that. Yeah. I, that's such an interesting take. I I, I aspire to be a, a, a middling level player. <laughs> I look <laughs> up at you, that and you. go, wow, that sounds rad. Um, but that's such an interesting take to be like, I'm excited for this because the pool is going to be larger. There's going to be a bunch of new people joining and I can sort of find my my comparable skill level in that. I think that's a really interesting. I, I love that. It's kind of like a glass half full version of, <laughs> of launch, you know? Yeah. I, I think the, the fighting games that have stuck around with the longest, usually I have like a pool of friends that also play it. So like Smash Brothers, I think kind of inherently came with that. Um, and Guilds of Gear, I think was the surprise hit for me there. Mm. Um, but yeah, Mortal Kombat is actually not like I, I've kind of been on and off with Mortal Kombat. Like I had the second game on Super Nintendo when I was like really little. I don't know why we had it. I was like four. And it was like a violent <laughs> video game. And I think it's interesting to see how Mortal Kombat has grown specifically because while Street Fighter and Tekken have roots in like the 2D and 3D like classic fighting game genre, I feel like Mortal Kombat is so born out of the like cheat code era we're like mm. dude if you hold b for yeah. the whole day you know uh luke kang <laughs> yeah. will rip his heart out or 1201 yeah 1201 yeah, no no, no. <laughs> the whole day like you got to break into round table pizza you got a quarter cup you <laughs> yeah, know, right. there <laughs> and 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 that spectacle right and it's like it's hard to really do that now and also do it because i think there was an era of of mortal Kombat, and maybe you know i haven't played these games in a while so maybe i'm i'm you know, not fully accurate here, but I feel like the post the like classic first three games, there was an era that felt a little bit almost like mean spirited or like purposely kind of edgy. Like I know mm -hmm. the series is always known for its gore and its fatalities, but I think the more recent games have done a slightly better job making it so Looney Tunes that it doesn't feel like a hostile movie or something. Like it doesn't feel like real right. gore or anything. Well, you know, they did accompany this announcement with uh, with a trailer. I want to get your thoughts on that. But, I mean, yeah. I kind of feel like we're burying the lead just a little bit in that it's not just the next Mortal Kombat game. It's called Mortal Kombat 1. And yeah. that, I think, is a, is a bold flag in the sand to say, hey, we're stripping away things. We're kind of going back to the roots. The idea here is that it is a reborn Mortal Kombat universe. Uh, the, the press release says that has, quote, been created by the fire god Liu Kang with reimagined versions of iconic characters, a new fighting system, new game modes, and, of course, the iconic fatalities. Um, so I want to get your, your take on Mortal Kombat 1. I mean, do you think yeah. that is – it feels like a huge deal. And what do we want out of a Mortal Kombat 1? Yeah, I that that is what immediately caught my attention. You you have a trailer that opens with whatever new universe. Like we can't we can't like we gotta let go of what happened before. Yeah, and it's kind of it's interesting too because like that trailer leads with like seemingly the intention from Fire God Liu Kang was to make a new universe that was like peaceful and not home to Mortal Kombat game, <laughs> uh, and then that quickly goes wrong. Um, so You just it, can't help it. It's Mortal Kombat! Right. They're like, I guess we can have a little fun. Um, <laughs> I think there is like a line. It's like, whatever world you build, 
it's always a world worth fighting for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I kind of wish the event that triggered Mortal Kombat to become violent again was Johnny Cage's sunglasses being broken. Like that would have been. Like, <laughs> we've made a new universe. We thought of everything. <laughs> if this one thing happens, um, it's kind of interesting to think about because this is also not the first. Like it's it's the first reboot in terms of it being Mortal Kombat one. But I remember. I think around 2011 was the ninth entry. Um, and that to me felt like a, a reboot in the sense that like that was Mortal Kombat really trying to stand alongside games like Street Fighter 4 and Mar- Marvel vs. Capcom 3, like, you know, really competitive, really successful fighting games. And before that game came out, I think Mortal Kombat had become more about the spectacle, maybe less about the mechanics. Um, I think that, that game did a great job kind of like feeling really dense mechanically um but yeah going back to your question it's so it's so uh it's so immediately intrigued me and that's like why i think it's you know my story of the week yeah um yeah but uh i i think it's i think it's really interesting and and that's kind of goes back to what i said about maybe bringing in new players because i think you know this is a series that a lot of people know really well i just wonder if saying like okay you know clean slate the characters you know and love that maybe redesigned like i think i think it's a good decision um yeah i I don't really follow the plot of these games too closely, so I'm not too concerned about like the lore repercussions of a universe reset. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. But I think it's I think it's definitely to me it reads as like we want to have new players come in or old players that maybe fell off for a while like me. So yeah, I am excited about 2026's Mortal Kombat One Two. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very Final Fantasy movie. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I, I think this is uh, is is pretty cool, and of course the the trailer showed some of the most over the top fatalities. I mean, always the fatalities have been over the top, but I felt like it really reached a whole a whole new level of just super sloppy double dare. You know what I mean? <laughs> just just yeah. goop goopiness. Uh, that's the thing. If that's oh, the, what it, what it is it is indicating is the direction we're going. I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm excited about it in a guilty pleasure kind of way. But it's just it's just like you said, it's Looney Tunes fun at a certain point. Yeah, it's I I also like I don't do well with gore at all, which is kind of ironic. So like I I think if it's not like pushing me away because it, it ends like really like it's like they turn all the levers off and it just happens. Like yeah. it kind of, it almost tricks you into thinking like, Oh, this is maybe like a whole new direction. Like right. new universe. This is going to be like a, a farm. Kinder gentler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like yeah. A Stardew Valley just with a cast of Mortal Kombat, um, which sounds great actually. But uh, yeah, it, it is, it is so over. The Get top. over here. Yeah. Seeds. <laughs> That's exactly. It is so over the top that it doesn't feel like uh although the one thing that kind of grossed me out was like i think the final one is a dude's head is like pushed through his body yes and his scream like echoes like (laughs) internally and it's like i'm like that the foley work of like what does a scream sound like from inside your chest (laughs) is maybe a step too far for me but really what what fatalities are is like the logical end point of rubbing it in you know it's like right yeah it really is just like taunting to the maximum degree which is a lot of fun christian you know what a scream sounds like from inside your chest (laughs) It's called every day at 3 a.m. when I'm still awake. Exactly. Um, exactly. That's what um, that sounds like. I'm curious if you think this Mortal Kombat 1 is a, feels like 
to you a gimmick or do you think that it represents some fundamental, you know, reinvention, reimagining, uh, starting over clean slate thing? Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I think it's fighting games have an interesting history with with sequels. I mean, we joked about one, two, but like every Street Fighter game has had three or four versions of it. Right. You know? um, so I think it's I think it's really hard to say now. I, I'm curious, like how long they will support this game, because that's the other thing, too, is like, you know, I keep mentioning Guilty Gear Strive. That game came out two years ago and they're still releasing new characters and still supporting it um i think mortal Kombat, excuse me mortal Kombat 11 was 2019 so that was a while ago yeah i just i worry um if there's maybe like you know if they if their plan is to support this game for a longer amount of time or if we are just gonna get two in five years so to me it's a little bit unclear what do you think, Christian? I mean, you and I are both big fans of the last few installments of, of Mortal Kombat. I thought they were very, very good. Um, do you think this this oneness about it will be impactful? Or do you think it's more of a, a kind of what Steven is talking about, like just welcoming in people? Hey, we're, we're cleaning the slate so that we can just welcome in new fans. I think a little bit of both. I, and I think it was, you know, nine or 10 or whatever. They, they've retconned the lore several times already over the course of this this franchise. So them doing that, like a lore yeah. reset, it's... I love the single player of, Mortal, of these recent sure. Mortal Kombat games. I think they've been very fun and the progression, the way that they dole out story and make you play new characters has been awesome. So I'm excited to see that progress. And this is continuing the thread from one of the DLCs from the last Mortal Kombat where you become the fire god and this, that, and the other. So I'm excited for all that. It's kind of hard to get excited about Liu Kang is is starting over. It's like, well, okay. That, I agree with you that I, that kind of feels like that's not the reason to get excited, right? The reason to get excited is that is game systems wise, right? Well, I think both. I I, I am excited about like what, you know, zany thing they're going to do with the narrative here. Cause it's always been just fun. You know, it's just like, and then we won, but actually we lost just kidding. He won. And you're like, Whoa, right. I won. you know, and it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really matter. But I think that doing this type of, if, if it is what they're kind of alluding to reset does make sense in terms of, as Steven mentioned, bringing in new players, but also setting expectations for those returning players to hopefully cut off at the past, this idea of like, scorpion has to say get over here he always says get over like you can't (laughs) not my mortal combat you know like there's there's kind of saying hey give us some leeway here we're trying we're making big swings versus something with street fighter 6 and i know there are alternate control schemes but like street fighter 6 i think jeff you were one of these people i don't know if flax the right word but kind of gave it some like side eye of like is this street fighter this control scheme is that what i want is that what i'm because this is the next thing in the mainline franchise and while Mortal Kombat 1 is also the next thing in the mainline franchise, I think the way they chose to name it and frame it, I think they're trying to give themselves some grace in terms of making those types of changes that audience will maybe be more receptive to. Um, but I mean, I'm in, you know? Like <laughs> Me the too. La- the last few games have been so fun and the facial animations have been so great. And I love that this one when they re- announced the consoles this was on it's like ps5 xbox series pc 
switch <laughs> somehow <laughs> somehow also switch like no you can't play mortal kombat one on an xbox one like that's out of the yeah, question no but impossible how could we possibly make that work on that <laughs> but yes but switch. we will yeah. shoehorn this bad boy onto a switch somehow <laughs> yeah september 19th mortal kombat one set to release that's pretty cool i like the announce a game and it's coming out in what three or four months that's pretty great yeah love yeah. that um, also an interesting tidbit here in the press release that, uh, you know, we've got new, new abilities, new fatalities, new systems, da, da, da. also a new feature called cameo fighters, which is described as a unique roster of partners to assist you in battle. So that feels a little like, uh, a, you know, team tag team type of deal, you know, a, more like a, uh, Marvel versus Capcom style system. This is yep. the one part that makes me a little nervous because from what I read, and I could be wrong, but I think they said that the cameo characters are not playable. So they're like only on the sidelines. And I just have this haunting feeling because my favorite Mortal Kombat characters are all like the B team dudes. Like <laughs> Reptile, Noob, Cybot, Meats, you know, like all... <laughs> right. All those, and I'm like, there's no chance in hell that Meat is playable. Like, Meat is going to be a cameo <laughs> character. <laughs> Reptile, you know, is right on the cusp. So I'm just yeah. like, I think it will be cool to see how those systems work. But I'm, I, uh, I just wonder why there's that limitation. But you know, we'll see how it manifests in the game itself. Yeah, pretty cool. I, I thought the trailer was tons of fun, and I'm, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I got me excited. It, it did what a trailer is supposed to do. It got me super excited, and I love the fact we don't have to wait a super long time. September nineteenth uh you know pretty cool pretty cool um all right christian spicer what is your story of the week my story of the week is about a company or games i don't talk about much but um something that we talked about way back when in 2019 i believe when it was first announced and when we played it jeff at blizzcon and that is overwatch 2 which was launching with this big single player or i should say pve uh, campaign where your heroes would level up and you'd have this skill tree and it'd tell a story of kind of what Overwatch is, not the game, but like the group of heroes and there's personalities and they talked about maybe some you'd have to play as Tracer because the it's designed for XYZ. We don't we don't know what we're gonna go, but we know it's gonna be this meaty, you know, PvE style experience. We're really excited about that's why we put the two on it. It's Overwatch 2, baby. It's gonna happen. And then a lot of other things happened at Blizzard and things kept happening and Overwatch 2 didn't materialize. And then it did, but without any of the PVE, it was this retooled version of Overwatch PVP. They made some tweaks. They made some changes. They made it free to play. Still had the two on it because it's still important. Uh, the PVE still coming until now when it's no longer coming. Um, and I think there are some good reasons or some justifiable reasons I think given for why it's no longer coming. But I bring this up as my story of the week because I loved the small PVE events that they would do seasonally in overwatch one. And I loved the idea of them blowing those up as talked about. And even that hands-on in 2019, I felt like there was something special there for me as a gamer of Three of us could get together. It's not competitive against each other. We can just have fun. We're leveling up our characters. We're getting cool loot and cool rewards and spending time in this universe that I really loved. And that was something that I thought 
was really going to bring me back into the Overwatch universe where like Steven, and I've mentioned on the show, I'm even less of a competitive gamer than Steven. I don't even get to that uncanny Valley. I kill it <laughs> in the closed beta, you know, like just give me press, you know, like just the press <laughs> beta. Oh, watch out jerks. Like I'm, my KD ratio is incredible. I'm just cruising. And then the game goes wide and it's like, no, nah, I suck. Uh, <laughs> so I thought Overwatch's t- Overwatch 2's PvE would be the thing that would keep me playing with these characters as the, the PvP has not kept me um, playing. And this really bums me out. It, it, it's like one of those things where I know we didn't have it yet, but I kind of feel like I lost my first wallet, not the wallet I currently keep my money in, you know, like I didn't lose anything I have, but like that first Captain America Velcro wallet that I kept, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I feel, I feel like I've lost something that I'm nostalgic your for old, that I never had. Blockbuster to begin with. card is in there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like yes. an old ID that's no longer valid. Yes. Yeah, like sixth a, grade Los Eros middle school. I looked yeah. good, man. There's like, yeah. you were like six out of 10 on the punch <laughs> card to get the free sandwich. <laughs> Yes, yeah. you get it. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it bums me out. Um, and I don't. I know Jeff. You were never the biggest Overwatch player. I think I was more hardcore into that game. I wasn't between the two of us. I, but I thought perhaps uh, PVE would be the thing that would bring me in. No, this is ma- a massive disappointment. It, and I think there's no really other way to frame it. I, I on in one hand, I admire developers that have the the ability to look themselves in the mirror and say hey this feature is not up to our quality level and we're gonna kill it even even though we've made a lot of uh, hay about it and even though it's it's gonna disappoint a lot of people like those tough decisions are what i want publishers and developers to be able to do or this other feature makes us so much money it doesn't make sense for us to pull resources i mean that's the cynical view i don't i don't think that's the case here i think this is going to be a huge hit for them because they were defining this game on that feature they that you know the big cg trailer that they did debuted at that blizzcon it was all about the story mode it was going Mm -hmm. and they talked so much about how all these different variables were coming into play and it was going to be this infinitely replayable pve mode that you're gonna be able to do with your friends and and it just felt like they were really focusing the thrust of what this the specialness of this game around this mode and this feature and they kept talking about it and they really i I, it sounded awesome and even we got to play a little of it at that blizzcon it was obviously not fully baked at that time but just the notion i think even when overwatch was first announced i remember sitting in the audience at the first blizzcon when they first uttered the words overwatch and they debuted the concept it felt like such a story rich uh-huh. IP and such a cool concept and the characters are cool and the, the world is vibrant and colorful and beautiful. And I like this idea of it sort of being superheroes in the, it just felt like such a neat fiction. I was already disappointed early on when it was like, well, we're not really exploring that. These are all just settings for multiplayer matches. And as, as much fun as that game has been, it really was a, going to be a, a cool opportunity to delve into the, the fiction of that world and, and play it in a much more traditional sort of campaign-y way. Even if it wasn't going to be a pure campaign, it was right. going to be more horde mode kind of stuff. But being able to play that 
you know, explore, explore more of, of what is interesting about all of the design of that world and play it with friends and not feel so competitive. I, all of that stuff was like, this is why I'm going to like Overwatch 2. And not having it happen is, is a major, major disappointment for me. And I think for a lot of people, I think it really was, I mean, Steven, I'm, I'm very curious what your thoughts about what this does to Overwatch 2 as a product, because it feels to me like, you know, there's obviously people that, that are, are playing it for the multiplayer and, and there will still be, but it does it's doing feel... well. The multiplayer, is, it's like, I don't want to pretend it's not like it. Overwatch 2 is doing well. It is not a dying game. By any no, but it does feel like this is the kind of thing that can have a stink with it that feels like, oh, this game is less than this game is they had to it's compromised. It's it, it. I don't know. It feels like this is the kind of thing that can really reflect poorly on the brand overall. And I wonder if maybe I'm, am I off base in that, in that regard, Steve, what do you think? I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to talk about because I don't want to like, I don't, I, I don't want to like blame the people working on it, you know, because obviously like they're putting a lot of work into the multiplayer. And like you said, it's like doing well, but there's just been so many, miscommunications with the lead up to this game you know i think like even even outside of this announcement of the pve not existing the launch of overwatch 2 yeah you know coming out and basically being the same game but 5v5 and the you know the low uh the lobby times like there was so many inherently negative things even if you were like going in with the least amount of toxicity as possible you know it was hard not to feel a little bit disappointed with like what you got out of it and it really felt like you know i actually played somehow overwatch is my most played game on playstation oh wow and i, and I beat persona 5 royal so that's there's there's a lot of hours in overwatch for me and i i'm kind of in the middle where like i really was surprised because i'm not really like i don't really like um i don't play a lot of shooters uh but what i really loved about overwatch was that every character felt kind of representative of a different game like mm, you can really like yeah. like uh playing as lucio felt like i was playing jet set radio or something yeah, you know and yeah. like uh i really i really was was drawn to it because of the characters and because of just like the atmosphere and i i would have i think i would have even loved more the pve promise of it but yeah i i think i think you're right to say that this does kind of like I just sort of a bummer because I think in the midst of all the talk about what was going on with Overwatch 2's launch was the like far off promise of, well, the PVE is coming in some yeah. way. Yeah. So for that to not happen, it feels kind of like this this thud. Um, so, you know, I think the game will continue, but it's like it's kind of disappointing to look back on the announcements and then kind of what we got was like a really good update and a and a free to play structure you know and I'm, i i really don't want to like be dismissive of it cuz i i played overwatch 2 and and i like part of me really enjoyed going back to it part of me felt like really nostalgic and and like i wanted to play more of it but it just felt a little bit uh it felt a little bit weird it felt a little yeah. bit like like a ghost you know um but maybe to me yeah yeah well i do i mean i it's hard to get mad at it when it. You're right. It it, it did turn into a free to play game, right? So, in a, in a sense that it's not like oh they're charging me all over again for the same game. And no, no, they made the game free, right? Exactly. Um, but it, you know, it, it, 
it does it do, i can't help but feel differently about it the ip personally like it feels like this is a compromised ip on a number of levels like they just keep compromising and i think I think, honestly, it's a victim of that sort of Activision mentality of we need to have a numbered sequel to put out and them compromising that, you know, in the same way that Destiny did. And uh, they nobody wanted to do that. And the, both of those teams didn't want to do it. But here we are. You know, we got on Overwatch yeah. 2 and here we are. Um, and I don't know that what they announced, you know, obviously this this announcement was not just what they're not doing. It also included what they are doing. And I don't know that more heroes is the answer that people are looking for. Like, we're not getting this whole new way to play, but you are getting a lot more heroes. (laughs) And we're going to do those small PvE things. You know, those small PvE things, those things that you couldn't wait to see the bigger versions of. Okay, yeah. I forget I said that last part. Those small PvE <laughs> things. Just but look at look at these. We're doing we're gonna do these. I would I would pay seventy dollars for a Junkenstein's revenge game. Just like <laughs> the whole thing is just that. But yeah, I think I think you're right, Jeff, to say that this does feel at the very least like a compromised vision. You know, like yeah. it does feel like it and I don't know like long term what that means for Overwatch. Um I even think back like I so like we talked about this on on my podcast when when Overwatch 2 first came out and it was kind of an interesting conversation cuz on our podcast kind of similar to you guys like we only bring to the show games we're enjoying um and in that case it was like we are having fun but there's so much like, we can't just be like yeah Overwatch 2 rules it was like right. we kind of have to talk about like and we brought it up cuz we thought it would be a good discussion but I I kind of thought back to even before Overwatch 2 and like my time playing the first game um and there was a distinct shift at one point where it felt like the updates and the balancing that went into the game was was clearly more focused on the esports part of it, mm-hmm. which totally makes yes. sense. It's not inherently bad. Like I, I understand. Well, they made a big investment in that. You know, right. like that was going to be a big thing, and it sort of fizzled. But yeah, they. I think for people just in the uncanny valley of skill, which keeps coming up for some reason, <laughs> uh, the the people that were just playing it for fun, like it, it was kind of distressing to be like, hey, like the character that I put, you know, a lot of time into is now fundamentally different overnight. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, but that's not an exaggeration. Like there are a couple yes. characters. If you played as Symmetra or Mercy every few months, they would just be like, okay, now they're a completely different character. Yeah. And that sounds nitpicky, but I do think that, does push people out of the game especially if they're playing it because they really like that character and they're maybe connecting to the game more from like a character design and like atmosphere and 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 de facto narrative reason right uh, that can that can be really disappointing so i think there was like a a lead up to where we are now even before the game came out when and this this i think leads into larger conversations about balance which i'm not like the authority on in any way but i do think there is a fine balance between like listening to players like paying attention to the competitive scene and making changes to benefit that but like if you do it too much you can almost suck the fun out of the game you know like you can make a character kind of lose their sense of identity because i think that with a game like overwatch the abilities are also part of the character design you know i think that kind of is is inherently connected so once torbjorn can't upgrade his turret it's like Torbjorn, what happened to you? Yeah. What happened to the Torbjorn I knew? Um, uh, I think but, it's, uh, yeah. I think a second part of this, it's like more 
conjecture and speculation at this point, but like there is a quote from Aaron Keller or who said um, the team kept trying to employ the crawl, walk, run plan, but the audacious and gargantuan PVE mode was continuously pulling resources away from the live game. So I think there is like a cynical way to look into that of like, oh yeah, the live game is the money maker. We couldn't figure out a way to really monetize this PVE in an effective way. So it wasn't worth the resources. I think there's also a view that is a little bit of speculation, but coming out of the rumors and stories that people have been saying uh, about Blizzard in terms of they need to create this kill list of like features they can't make for WoW. Like they're having attrition and employment. They're not able to hire folks that they used to be able to hire. And so teams are stuck making these tough choices of these are the folks we have. What can we do with these 10 people in this room and plans have to change? And I think it's such a fascinating. I don't think there's ten micro- people in a room. To be right, fair, I know. I, think I know. Yes, not not. Ten, but yes, order this of group magnitude of folks, more than that. But yeah, this group of folks. Yeah. But I think it's such an interesting representation of video games today, and we've been here for a little bit. But video games in 2023 versus you know video games and even 2003 of like you announce a game, you say what it's going to be, the game comes out without that thing, but we're like, yeah, hey, we've been there before. That thing's going to come, and then it doesn't. <laughs> But it's still that game, and then that game continues to evolve and change to be something totally different. It, I mean, it's yeah. But for every example of that, and I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair. And I and I I suspect this game will find its footing. And and well, I mean, it already has, as you said. It's not doing poorly. But I think it's gonna be it's gonna be fine. But also, there's like the sort of uh, Halo Infinite effect, you know, which is like. Sure. It just you just keep getting bad news about a thing for long enough that you just go, wasn't that game? Wasn't that game a failure? You know, wasn't that game? Oh wait, I had was one of my favorite. I I really liked it. (laughs) Yeah, but it's like it's it's got a stink on it almost. (laughs) Of like they just kept telling you that it's not what we're just not going to do that, and we're not doing that, and this is you know we're not. It's not you know I don't know. Maybe I'm making too big of a deal about the the perception of a game, but I do think there's that comes into play at a certain point. Uh, I was thinking about sort of, you know, we're talking about like the the non-existence of the PvE mode and sort of the untapped potential of like Overwatch to exist in other formats other than the current online uh, PvP. And I think a lot about like kind of what League of Legends is doing with all their various spinoff games. You know, like you have the, it's a similar kind of deal, right? Where you have like all these characters with this like nod to a story that you don't get in the game. Um, and then they've now made games that like actually do focus on that. So I wonder if there's potential for Blizzard to do something like that. But you know, who yeah. knows? I um two things I want to say. First is if Torbjorn loses, uh, can't remember who he is. Is it the Torbjorn identity? <laughs> no, that's the spinoff. We oh, okay, we got it. Go. Uh, and that secondly, was, the other thing I want to say that was worth it. By the way, too, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We came back to it. I didn't want to interrupt anybody, but I could not say it. Um, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to say was, uh, apropos of nothing, uh, I was in the airport today. I flew. Uh, I flew it from Burbank to uh, to my home of Denver, um, and in the Burbank airport, there was a young kid on a laptop. I don't know, maybe 20 years old, looked like, young, playing StarCraft. And I could not believe what I was seeing. The I first like, one? What? The first StarCraft? I think it was StarCraft 2. Okay. But Still. regardless, like, 
they were rocking StarCraft. And I was like, <laughs> either you are somebody I, I you know, I should know as, as some, some sort of esport person who's just like clock and plays while you're waiting for your flight, or I'm witnessing the very few young people that are still into, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> recreational StarCraft play. Uh, I thought that was pretty wild. Uh, but anyway, I, I mean, I think I think Blizzard has been pretty good about not pretty good, but has ha- had a history of taking these franchises and spinning them. I mean, World of Warcraft is a spinoff, you know yeah. what I mean? Technically, it's a great point. Um, so I, I don't think that that's outside the possibility. I think it does seem to me that Overwatch is a rich enough IP that it could support other kinds of games. And I agree with you, Stephen, that what Riot is doing is pretty cool. Like yeah. doubling down on the lore of their IP and making making those characters that, in a large sense, you know, for League of Legends, from the outside looking in at least, can be a little disposable. It's like there's how many? 150 champions or whatever insane <laughs> number. It's like for the people that really care, yes, but like all of that just seems like a big jumble. But when you spin those characters off, put them in their own games, make an animated Netflix show right, like that's Arcane. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you're like oh, I, those characters feel special and they have identity and they have, you know, there's, you have connection points to them that aren't just the main game. And I think that's really smart. I think that's a really good way to make your IP seep into the culture more and become more vital to people. Um, so I don't know. I hope Blizzard does that. Um my story of the week, I want to stick with Blizzard, actually, because we got, uh, I, th- I think, a pretty surprising announcement that there will be a BlizzCon in 2023. Uh, it has been announced that BlizzCon 2023 will happen after, uh, what, three years of no BlizzCon? I think 19. I think 19 was the last in person, wasn't it? Because there was no way there was. Right. No, you're right. Four, four years of no BlizzCon. So there will be a BlizzCon uh, back at the Anaheim Convention Center, November third and fourth. Oh yes, it's been four years. It's been around four years since the last live show. Uh, we don't know any more details about what will be announced there or shown there or whatever. But I think it's it's interesting enough in and of itself that a signifier among lots of other signifiers that the world has sort of gotten back to. A, a sense of normalcy um obviously you know we're still sensitive to people that are dealing with various uh issues but i think it, you know it's it's interesting to me that while e3 has been canceled we are going to have a blizzcon i think that's a really interesting juxtaposition that those things are uh, went in different directions after you know blizzcon to me very felt very much in doubt as to whether it would have a future not just because of the fact that all live events felt like they might not have a future at a certain point, <laughs> yeah. but because, you know, Blizzard went through a, a, a series of PR nightmares, uh, a lot of lost, I think, uh, allegiance from fans. And does this, I'm curious, Stephen, does this indicate to you that at least internally, they feel like they're going to be able to put their best foot forward. They, they're kind of mending that relationship with fans. W- what's your take on this announcement? Oh, that's that's a great question. I mean, there's there's so much to cover there, right? Like, I think you know, there there's the stuff with the games, and then there's all of the allegations and everything too. That you know, I think it it would take a lot to to apologize for for that in in one event. 
Um, and I, I guess I'm just wondering if there will be like an acknowledgement of the state of things. Mm-hmm. So I think at a lot of these events, like it's in the company's best interest to be like, isn't it great to be our company? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah. I, I wonder if like, I mean, I, 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 yeah, the, it's hard for me to point out one thing, but I, I do wonder, I think it would be received very negatively if they were, if they acted like nothing had happened, if they were just like, yeah, we're back in, and here's more Diablo. I think people would be <laughs> rightfully really angry. It's interesting. Um, I mean, yeah, you, I think that I think you're ac- you're right about that. I think that's accurate. I think I, I'm curious how they will handle that element of it, which is a big part of of what BlizzCon was. Because BlizzCon, I think more than almost any other convention I've been to, is about that relationship between the company and the fans, and it had really been injured, you know. Um, and it, and sp- from a pure like product standpoint, evidently they've got this survival game that they're working on. We've heard rumblings about. Um, maybe they'll be a big coming out party for that. A new IP would be a pretty big splash to make with a at a returning BlizzCon. But we'll have Diablo Four out. They may speak about maybe some sort of expansion to that or next steps or see. I'm sure they'll be talking about seasons and stuff coming up for that. We know about, I mean, World of Warcraft is trucking along. Maybe there'll be a new expansion there. But, like, what else? Overwatch 2, what what else is there a BlizzCon for at this point? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Blizzard is, their their old model, at least, was, like, they have, like, their three big things, right? And then whenever there's the new one, it's a really big deal. Yeah. Um, So I I guess, like, a new IP would make sense. Yeah. but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's not there's especially now that we know there's no PVE and yeah, Overwatch, that that would have been the big rumor, right? Like, oh, they're gonna drop it, like it's gonna be here, right? Um, and it's clearly not. So yeah, it's it's hard to know. For Interesting me, I feel to like, me. Go ahead, Christian. I was gonna say, I feel like to me this is a really nice hug for people like that me? have stuck with Blizzard for this long time to- for a long time, and I think there are a lot of folks who's and I, you know, I've talked about it on the show, and I will continue to talk about that. I am not really playing or talking about their games as they come out until there's a major change in leadership culture at that company. Yeah. They've done too many, in my opinion, horrible things to make me continue to cheerlead through those things. But those are just my opinions. And I realize that almost every company has problems. So I'm not trying to put my opinions on other people. I, I think, you know, for a lot of folks, Blizzard's games have got them through this pandemic in a way that this show has for people or into the aether has for people where you build this community and it is something for people to look forward to, to come together about and for blizzards games, play online and cooperate and meet new friends. And, you know, there's all these stories of people getting married and this, that, and the other yeah. they met in game. And this is going to be people's first BlizzCon that, you know, we're 16, with <laughs> the last time there was one and, and now they're able to go on their own right because they're in college and, and go to blizzcon and take this trip with their friends or whatever so i think it's going to be really important for a lot of people and i think in that way it doesn't need to be anything other than we're back we're here for you we love you as much as you love us and i think that's going to mean a lot to a lot of people i've only that i can recall i i i think i did the math on this uh once uh i think i've only missed one blizzcon and it was when my son was born 
or was not it, you know, fan. I had just been born, huh? Not a true fan. Not a true fan. <laughs> and I think, I, I, th- I don't know if I'm going to be able to go to this one. I, I think that I might not be able to go there. I mean, I live farther away now. It's not a drive anymore like it used to be. But, um, you know, it's a weird thing. I, I'm thinking, do I, do I do it? Do I go? Do I buy a plane ticket and fly out for BlizzCon this year? I don't know. But I know kinda... a place you could stay if you come out this way. I know a place you could stay. Well, don't There's offer like that up one Steven's hotel. House There's like that one that. hotel like right next to <laughs> the, the convention center. <laughs> I knew you were going to swerve me. All right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we got games to talk about. Let's jump in to the games that we have been playing on the playlist. Ooh, Steven, what has been on your playlist this week? So we have a big choice here. Uh, <laughs> one of the games is Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which yes. I know we've all been playing. And I'm Indeed. really excited to talk to you both about it. Um, and I have another game that I, I, I wanted to bring, uh, Darkest Dungeon 2, which came out recently as well. So let's start there. Let's start, start there. there. Let's yeah. start with Darkest Dungeon 2 because... Um, I really enjoyed Darkest Dungeon 1. I, I I have not picked up the sequel. Honestly, I fell off the first game mostly because it just, at a certain point, it was just a little too bleak for me. Yeah. It just beat me down enough times where I was like, you know what? I'm kind of not even enjoying this. At a certain <laughs> point. You know? I get that. I feel like the hammy narrator adds a little bit of levity where, yes. you know, like you'll heal someone and he's like a temporary alliance. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I, I really, I put a number of hours in that first game and I, and I enjoyed a lot of it, but at a certain point I was like, man, it's, it is just a slow procession into impossible, but at yeah. least for me. Uh, and at a certain point, it's just like, uh, it's just beating me down. My guy's blind and terrified. Come on. You know, um, <laughs> but uh, tell me about Darkest Dungeon 2. Any changes, any 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 reinvention of the, the f- formula there? Yeah, it's a it's a pretty big swing uh, for a sequel. And I think that's kind of really working for some. Uh, the, the reaction seems to be kind of divisive because I think Darkest Dungeon 1 um asks a lot of you you know both of the games open with like hey just just between us this is gonna be pretty pretty rough uh yeah. this game i think the second one at least opens with uh saying that this is a game about making the best out of a bad situation right which is maybe the the lightest way to put it um <laughs> when you know like you're fighting all of hellboy's enemies as you you know are blind yeah. um but uh so the the biggest difference is that they're really leaning into the roguelike structure of it because the first one was like it definitely had roguelike elements, but it was I would say more of like a dungeon crawler where you had that sort of haunted town that you could like upgrade and and you know invest in and kind of that was like the planning phase before you took four adventures and and took them into one of the dungeons. Um, and there was a lot of like risk reward there where, you know, it was really up to you how much you wanted to push your adventures. And I think that's that's kind of what like it's both what the game is trying to say, but also the most off-putting element of the game where like once you kind of realize the game is subtly encouraging you to kind of just go through adventurers, you know, yeah, like, they're disposable the, for sure. Yeah, right. Like once you kind of pick up that message, it's like, OK, cool. I get like that. I am. I too am losing my humanity. But like I'd rather <laughs> right. go outside and like get lunch or something. Um, but no, it's, it, the first one was a great game, but this one is 
so the structure of it is there's no longer the hub town you are in like a horse-drawn carriage and you are quite literally carrying the last ember of hope through the world so it's almost like a oregon trail meets slay the spire kind of structure where you are set on this destination and choosing various paths in the road um and the combat is very similar they've definitely refined it a lot they've also added like a 3d look to the art style of the first game and it looks really cool like the environments and how it looks when you're riding around in the carriage uh, the production of it is like stunning and the narrator's back which you know is a must um but uh i think you might enjoy it a little bit more because i'm pretty early on i'm like two or three hours in and i will say runs take a long time so like i'm trying to gauge like how attached i should get to this crew because i'm like i'm in my first there's no way i'm gonna like beat the game you know, like, <laughs> this is gonna end poorly but i i also like want to see it through so i can get um you get these candles that are essentially like the currency where after a run you can unlock permanent uh upgrades so your next run will be a little easier um but i think what's what's maybe a little bit kinder to the player in this is that it feels like you're and i'm sure this will be like twisted in some way but it feels like you're actually fighting for something like it feels like you have hope you know as a as an object it feels like you're kind of working towards a goal mm. in a way that eventually darkest dungeon felt like unless i want to role play being evil i should just stop playing right you know <laughs> yeah. um so i think you i think you might enjoy it i i definitely think there's another uh new well there are a lot of new systems and i think that maybe is one slightly off-putting element there are a lot of tutorial boxes that keep popping up after every new thing which you know is kind of what they have to do but it's it's a lot all at once um and the thing that i'm really enjoying is that they added in addition to like the character stress meter and their various like traits they will acquire good and bad as you continue your adventure there are also relationships between characters so those can either be in my case they're all negative everyone is like (laughs) either envious or suspicious of the other person (laughs) Uh, and I'm really trying my best to make my my plague doctor and and you know man of arms get along, but uh, uh, they can also be good. And I think what that really does, and what I really loved about the first game too, is that there are really wonderful moments of organic storytelling where it kind of feels like, oh, these are like my characters, and this is how the story is playing out in combat, and also just you know in in the more uh, routine mechanics of the game. Like yeah. see, getting a stronger sense of character and a stronger sense of like how this party relates to one another is really working for me. So I'm really enjoying it. I definitely want to play more of it, but I I'm I really commend them for making it so different because I think they they had enough of a hit on their hands. They could yeah. have just like added new content and like some new things, but it really feels like they changed the fundamental structure of the game. It, it reminds me almost of uh, Rogue Legacy Two. Uh, yeah, the, where it's like they they went farther in a sequel than they needed to in order to capitalize on something that was already successful. Uh, and I give I, I give credit for that. I think that's that that makes me more interested in checking it out. Um, but the 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 tagline for Darkest Dungeon Two, Christian, is "Face your failures," which I feel like <laughs> I don't need a video game for that. <laughs> I, i'm doing that that's called tuesday for me you know what i'm saying <laughs> only tuesday man that's a day ending I might need to play Darkest I mean. Dun- mine's yeah. every day yeah yeah man. yeah yeah <laughs> that's uh, what that scream from the inside of a body sounds like jeff uh, <laughs> uh 
Uh, it does look cool though. They, they did improve the visuals. I'm just checking it out here on Steam. It looks really, um, really yeah, it's, beautiful. It's really stunning, and the yeah. the like the style of 3D. It almost feels. It almost reminds me of. Uh, did either you play Wildermyth? Oh yeah, I love that game. Yeah, yeah it kind of has that, like, like that cutout world. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is like a much more grotesque version. Of, <laughs> of that. Yeah, yeah. That game is a cool game though, man. That game is underrated. I, love Myth. I was so impressed with how they were able to pull off the sort of procedurally generated story thing with that game. Yeah, really cool. Absolutely. I just think there's a name uh, misfire here. Or when their first game is Darkest Dungeon, like this game could have been called like, <laughs> "Sorry, we lied last time." This is actually the yeah. darkest, the dungeon. real yeah. darkest dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> darkest yeah. Dungeon Two, even darkester. <laughs> Lighter Dungeon, a Darkest Dungeon Two sequel, and it's like, oh, this is so easy. I thought they could have done Carriage of Hope, but I feel like that would that mm. would not really. Advertise the game properly. <laughs> Carriage of hope. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Sounds more uplifting. Yeah. I'd love uh, to read the Steam right. reviews for Carriage of Hope. Wait <laughs> <laughs> an hour. This game oh. sucks. There's no hope at all. There's no hope. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's envious of each other. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Let's jump into Tears of the Kingdom. Um, I, I know, um, Christian, you put in a lot more hours than that. And um steven i want to get your sort of uh top level take i mean are you were you a big breath of the wild fan is this more of what you were hoping for or or is it is your story different yeah so i i love breath of the wild i'm i'm a lifelong zelda fan uh my my first zelda game was ocarina of time so weirdly enough it actually took me longer to get into the top down zelda games mm. as a kid especially because i was like what is this there's no there's no 3d um <laughs> but you know it was cool to like over time enjoy the distinct flavors of zelda yeah um i i'm loving tears of the kingdom i i think going back to you know sequels that take big swings i think in the case of breath of the wild they really like i, I was kind of fully expecting more iteration which is maybe foolish because Nintendo's whole deal is like reinvention every time, yeah. you know? Um, like they do Mario 64 and then they're like, here's a water gun. Here's the new game. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I think Tears of the Kingdom on one hand is the most direct sequel Zelda has done. Like the last sort of direct sequel plot-wise was Majora's Mask. But I would say like, even though that game shares a lot with Ocarina, they're very, very different experiences. Um this game does, in in many ways, feel like a follow up to Breath of the Wild, but I think even just the decision to fundamentally change your powers really reframes the entire thing. Like I, I think, when I think about Breath of the Wild, I think a lot about um, the design philosophy behind games like Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, where there's the design by subtraction. Mm-hmm. And Breath of the Wild is a game that I think is very comfortable with with silence and with like maybe you know subtly designing a world where things are grabbing your attention but it's also fairly open it's also fairly like natural like it it is a game i think you guys were talking about this a bit last week where you you do kind of have to give yourself purpose more than the game might um yes the kingdom meanwhile is like you know i I this this i think sums it up i remember in breath of the wild the first time i saw one of the dragons in the sky I like held my breath and was like, I'm going to follow this thing. That's my mission. That's the fun I'm giving myself. 
in this game when i see a dragon i'm like i'm busy i have like eight trucks <laughs> that i'm making like i need to dive into hell and build a truck for my Korok friend i've got engineering projects i'm working yeah. on <laughs> can you wait yeah um uh so i i think it's I think it's really incredible. I, I also am kind of shocked at the risks they're taking narratively as well. Like I, I, I won't spoil it, but I have about half of the memories you can find uh, that are, you know, around the map and every memory leaves me screaming. What out loud? Like, you know, the memories in breath of the wild, I thought were beautiful. And I think they really characterize Zelda in a great way. And when you watch all of them and, and watch the finale, without spoiling like it is very much zelda's story like it feels like she's the protagonist of breath of the wild um in this game it kind of feels like link and zelda are main characters kind of in their own journey so mm-hmm. getting the memories is is less like what does link remember and more what's zelda up to right now um and because you can get them wildly out of order i'm getting like a like conspiracy theorist notes about like what zelda is <laughs> up to and like uh i'm just really I'm really, really curious more than because because narrative in Zelda tends to be fairly open for interpretation. Like even Breath of the Wild, I think, you know, had voice acted cutscenes and all that, but it, it was not common. I think this game also has like a way more direct story and it's way more character centric than Zelda has been in the past, which I really love. Like it's really working for me, mm-hmm. but I can also see it being maybe hit or miss for some people that prefer that like fable-esque approach yeah i am on the other side of that and to point folks to the episode that you all did it just came out this past week i think your tears of the kingdom episode um that you and brendan did i think was excellent and there was something you talked about on there just to bring up for our audience here and folks who haven't listened to that this idea of breath of the wild as exploration and tears of the kingdom being creativity and I think I'm the person where, you know, I got to the very end of Breath of the Wild and never finished it. I just, like, it took me a couple of stops and starts to even get that far and get into it. And then when I got into it, it was just like, I need to go do what before I can go do this? No, no, I just don't. <laughs> like, there was, you know, I didn't have that motivation to pull me over the hill to do that last mile. And in Tears of the Kingdom, this past weekend, my wife was out of town for work and my kiddos in a softball, the softball playoffs. And, like, there's been a bunch of life things that have pulled me away. So my hours, I'm still one hour further ahead than whatever Jeff thinks I am. Mm, but mm. story-wise, I'm I've completed the first eight, my first big temple, um, and then a bunch of the smaller shrines. But I found that it's more focused approach, at least thus far, and that emphasis on creativity versus exploration. I really like Tears of the Kingdom. And I really appreciated Breath of the Wild, <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. Like, no, I get Tears it, of the yeah. Kingdom, I'll get to a little stupid thing. And you talked about, uh, you know, in your episode, making like this super long bridge. Like, I'm going to kill a forest to make this bridge. And I, do, <laughs> I will just get into environmental problems or, or just think, you know, I don't even know if it's supposed to be a puzzle in the game. And I'm like, <laughs> idiot, you didn't think I could do this, did you? And I'm fusing things and cutting things and tinkering things and making the most rickety ladder you've ever seen in the existence of ladders to then get up to the top of this hill without using any stamina. And I'm like, did it. You know, like I really <laughs> I really love the the creativity and the way that each shrine that I am completing, more so than in Breath of the Wild for me, I feel like I don't know if I'm doing it the way the game wants me to. Like, I'm like, oh, probably. 
I mean, they gave me this hot air balloon, so they probably want me to use it. But like, did I use it the way Jeff used it? Did I use it the way, you know, Lana, did I, it's like, we could all solve our own things in these, this myriad of ways. And I find that super refreshing. It's, it's tapping into, you know, the portal fan in me of like, yeah, that's a great, they didn't comparison. think I could do this, did they? And of course they, <laughs> they probably did, especially for what this dumb dumb's doing. Um, but man, and that first, my, the first one that I did, um, temple was just, just exquisite. I that think that boss fight is so like, one of the best boss fights in Zelda, I think it's so yeah. good. And like for, for me where I get my kicks far and away better than any of the divine beasts, like the, the whole set piece in, in my way through it, and figuring it out and tinkering around and remembering, Oh, I have a send, you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> Everyone always forgets. It's so funny. Like, oh yeah, I can ah, also ascend. <laughs> I can do. Oh, and I was like, you know, I'm trying to do, I'm like in this hard scramble fight or trying to figure out this puzzle, do all these things. It's like, oh crap. The game lets me cheat. Maybe I should cheat. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think what I appreciate about, I've also done that first temple. Um, I, I'm about to do the second one, but what I appreciate about that first temple is like, they did keep some stuff from the divine bees. I think it's kind of impressive that like if there were two areas that like everyone kind of agreed were, were weaker in breath of the wild, it was that the divine beasts were a little bit underwhelming comparatively, like compared to the rest of the game, uh, even to like the shrines and that, you know, uh, the weapon durability was, was a point of tension for a lot of people. And I feel like it would have been easy to go into tears, tears of the kingdom and be like, Cool. Okay. No more divine beasts and and weapons don't break. Have fun. Yeah. Um. They kept they kept the spectacle and the like open design of the divine beasts, but what they did is they they didn't make them all the same. Because I think that was the big thing for me is like all the divine beasts were kind of solved in a similar way, and I think they kind of had to make the design of them a little bit flat because you could do them in any order. But I think because this game is so nervously like you should do the Rito Village first. I I kind of have. The Are you going to do that one? <laughs> yeah, I think do this other one. <laughs> It'd be pretty oh. cool of you to do this one first. It's um. a far walk down to that one. You got you got to really be. Are you sure you're prepared? <laughs> this one's yeah. right here. <laughs> um, and then with the weapon durability, it's like I, I think for me, I, I understood why weapons broke so quickly in Breath of the Wild because they wanted to incentivize you to keep exploring. So you always kind of had to like explore more to find more stuff. Um, but I also think it kind of diminished the feeling of discovery because you would get a cool weapon and I'm like, well, this is just going to break. Like, yeah. it's not that not exciting. using that. Right. I'm a, yeah. I'm a, <laughs> you never use your best weapon because you're like, right. I got to hold on to that one. I put it this in my fight's house. so hard. I've used yeah. all of my three sticks. Have <laughs> yeah. you tried your sword? Oh, God, no. I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to use my sword on this fight. I'm using sticks. <laughs> I'm decked out in Boko gear, and I have the Master Sword like in a in my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, yeah, yeah. Um, but in this game, like most of the weapons we find are like rusted swords, and like they're clearly like unfinished, kind of incentivize you to fuse. Yeah. And I think kind of using a point of feedback to add more game mechanics is a really brilliant choice. Because again, I think it would have been easy just to move away from the thing people disliked. Right. It seems that they really internalize it. Well, why do people dislike it? And how can we actually make weapons breaking fun? Um, so I'm, I'm really happy to hear it's working for you. Because I, I know you, you were both in the tutorial Sky Island last week. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I, haven't... I, got, I got lost there. I mean, I didn't want to leave. I, I loved it. I loved this guy. I loved the little 
droids that were t- guardians that were t- I thought it was so cute and I was like if this is the and they're like throwing powers at me every five seconds I was like I need to learn these and it was kind of like dude leave <laughs> <laughs> start the game go yeah. to the wind temple first yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had a weird experience this week in that I was out of town for many days and I brought my Switch specifically to do this. And I get on the plane. I'm like, yeah, all right. Time to play some Tears of the Kingdom. Start. And it goes, checking to see if you're able to play this. (laughs) Have you guys ever gotten that? I didn't Google it. I don't know if I... I think... So it might be... If you're you, not the default switch, yeah, it's the new there's OLED the primary account. So your yeah. son's you have, his primary. So it has to be check online. in. It has to check in online, and I couldn't. So I'm I, so sorry. I basically not played it for many days. Um, so I'm gonna refrain from uh, commenting. <laughs> but I, I am. I, I, oh, yeah. sorry. Go, go ahead, please. No, I was gonna say I'm really excited to hear if it works for you better after the tutorial, because I think that is like a very divisive part of the game. Like I know, uh, Christian, you were saying that you had a great time there, but it is, it, it does stand out that like in breath of the wilds, the, the equivalent was the great plateau, which was, I think designed to be a really right. seamless, like you don't know it's a tutorial until you're off the plateau and you're like, what? That was, yeah. all that was that? the setup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was all a dream. Um, <laughs> whereas in this game, it's like very clear, like the goat man is like, yeah, this is the tutorial. You have to like really prove, you know, how to use yeah. ultra hand before we trust you to, to go. I enjoyed it, but I also think it it is not the same experience as the rest of the game. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it works better. No pressure, obviously, but I'm hoping it works no, better I, for you once you I, land. You know, I yeah. feel very bad that I have, uh, you know, no, no more additional opinion to uh, contribute um, about it because I know that a lot of, I've gotten a lot of feedback, a lot of feedback from folks. <laughs> I'll re- I'm going to read uh, uh, an email that I actually got that I'm not going to be able to answer today, but I, I will. I want to read it because it has given me a lot of food for thought. Or it has stimulated a lot of introspection. I'll, like I'll a pepper way. steak kebab or like, uh, what are we talking about here? Like a fish? Uh, well, it's you from know, Norway. Fish so what's stew. The, okay, what's okay. The, it may be more fish stew probably. Um, Martin from Norway wrote to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. He said, uh, thanks for the incredible podcast. It's perfect companion for my Monday workout. This is a question for Jeff. I'm very curious as to why recent universally highest praised games don't resonate with you. Tears of the Kingdom, Elden Ring, Breath of the Wild. Could you please elaborate? <laughs> and uh, I can't right now. <laughs> but I'll tell you, Martin, uh, it's, I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been thinking about this a lot. And I, I'm hoping that Tears of the Kingdom will buck the trend and I will find, find my love of it. But uh, I do think is accurate that I bounced off of Breath of the Wild and bounced off of Elden Ring and haven't been able to find the fun uh, in either of those. Despite feeling like I'm on the outside, I'm like, my breath is showing up on the glass outside as all the people are dancing and having fun in the party. And I'm out in the cold. You're at the the beginning of a Christmas carol. You haven't been doing a turkey yet. Yeah. What? What is you guys? What is this thing you're doing in there? It looks so fun. Um, I, uh... You know, and there's a bunch of people in the Discord that were so frustrated with me. And and I want just, I want everyone to know no one is more disappointed in me than me. (laughs) 
truly. No one is more disappointed. I do do I want to love Elden Ring the way people talk about Elden Ring? Do I want to love Breath of the Wild the way people talk about Breath of the Wild? You you're darn right I do. I I, I want to feel those things. That's what I love. I love loving things. I want to love these do things. Do you do you, Jeff? Do you? I, I wanna <laughs> I, I'm s I don't want you to feel left out. I want to break through the glass in this moment. Okay. And uh I w- so I think it's actually you're not alone for one. I, I mean, it would be weird if everyone felt the same way about everything, even a game as universally beloved as, you know, a new Zelda game. Right. Um, but I, I have seen a lot of people, you know, now that the open world Zelda is sort of the new like path for the series. Um, I've seen more and more people kind of sort of lament the, the move away from the more authored, you know, linear games like Ocarina of Time. Um, And this kind of goes back to what I was saying about being a kid and not really getting the top-down Zelda. I think it's it's wonderful that Zelda as a series continues to reinvent itself and continues to try new things. I think people would be really pissed if it was just the same game every time. We, like, almost got there towards the end of of Skyward Sword, you know, Palette Princess. I think both great games, but I think that was when... The sort of like the reviews would be like ten out of ten, but like, come on, guys, maybe. And then Breath of the Wild comes out and like completely changes everything. And they are, I would not really compare them, even though they're both Zelda and they share a lot of the same spirit. I wouldn't, I couldn't really say yes. Breath of the Wild is better than Ocarina of Time. Um, so it could just be that you you don't really connect as much with the open world style, and that's totally fine. Like I think there's a lot of strength in both design, and it may not, on a subjective level, work for everyone in, in both cases. Yeah. Um, it also, I've also found like there have been a couple times too where like there's a game that everyone recommends to me. Uh, the it was Divinity Original Sin two. Everyone was like, "Oh, you love D and D? Like you got to play this." Oh, game. I do it's love like, that game. Yeah. Now I do, but for like years, I was like, I don't really get it. I, f- I felt like yeah. I was breathing on the wall. Um, I felt like I was always on fire in that game. I never felt like I could, <laughs> I could do like nothing worked. It felt like a DM saying no in my face over and over again. That's I later learned, yeah, I, le- I learned later that I was playing on hard by accident, so that didn't help. Oh, well, that, um, that can contribute, you certainly, but that game it, is hard on hard for sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but. It just wasn't really the time or place for me to play it when I when I tried for the first time, and I revisited this. I revisited it this year and loved it. Like I completely, yeah. I couldn't understand my past self. So it's not to say that like you will eventually feel that way about Tears of the Kingdom, but I do think there's almost this pressure to like a determine the game's value right away, mm-hmm. and b to figure out how you feel about it right away. When in reality, you know, I think film comes to mind as as especially sensitive to this where like sometimes a movie comes and goes and then years later everyone's like wait a minute what about that one you know like yeah that speaks to right now way more than maybe it did when it came out so interesting um, yeah no i think that's fair and i appreciate yeah. that um to further complicate my position and <laughs> and frustrate frustra- uh, you know another point of frustration for our listeners and now i will welcome you you into that i'm on the edge of my seat is uh one of my favorite games of the last five years is immortals phoenix rising right i loved 
what everybody else considers to be the derivative work <laughs> and didn't love the original, right? I, I, I'm a huge fan of the monkeys, but hated the Beatles. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's what a lot you of like people like the think. Weird Al covers. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what everybody thinks is like, but this one's the Beatles. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but the, aren't those wacky monkeys so much fun? Um, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's kind of the thing. I, but I genuinely felt like, Genuinely felt like Immortals Phoenix Rising gave me a window into what people love about Beth of the Wild and did it in a way that was much more accessible and immediate to me. Um, but we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but it is, uh, it is, I am as baffled by it as anybody else, you know, because it's not like fundamentally the, what, what that taught me was like the, the template itself wasn't what I was bouncing off of. It was some facet of the execution that I found more palatable with this Ubisoft game than I did with the Nintendo game. And I wonder if Tears of the Kingdom will grab you more then, because in my experience with all three of the games is that Mortals Phoenix Rising almost always pointed you to what to do if you wanted it to. And uh, Breath of the Wild did not. You know, there wasn't that. In Tears of the Kingdom, it seems like from where I am so far, a, a much more guided way through the game should you choose to take it and the shift that's worked for me thus far and we'll see you know 100 hours later i don't know how much i've ever said this on the show i think hopefully it's clear i like beating games i like finishing games i like having that finished experience and something that i've tried to do and flip my flip the switch in my head for tears of the kingdom is less finishing it and more experiencing it and it's not going to be something that's like, oh, yeah. I mean, for I think we talked about this on uh, Ragnarok. And then I think it was also Jedi Survivor for me. When we do that spoiler chat, I'm sure I'll mention it again. I got to a point in those games where I was like, looked at my phone. Yeah, I'm not sleeping tonight. I am finished. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. I'm at this point. Right. And I don't think Tears of the Kingdom can be that. And I just need to experience it and have joy every time I'm in it and let it take however long it takes. And that is not typically how I game. I like to get to that point of like, yes, I see I'm peeking around the corner. There's the end. Here I go. And it seems like these new Zeldas are like, there's no corners, bro. What are you looking for? Yeah. <laughs> Keep yeah. playing. The journey is the destination. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I will play more of it. I promise. Uh, and um, I just, this week was crazy. I'd like planned it. I had it all charged and ready to rock. And it's like checking to see if you can, I'm like, but you can't check. There's no way to <laughs> you gotta switch you gotta make that make your oled the default yeah so. again screwed by my children <laughs> <laughs> not the first time not the last time um i do want to mention quickly uh that i i finished uh, jedi survivor um a little little later than christian uh but uh we're gonna do the the spoiler chat the full spoiler chat so you know the patrons will get that first at any level patrons will get that first um, and that's going to happen in the next couple of days, right, Christian? We'll do that. We'll figure that out. Um, yes, sir. But I just want to say, with a, without spoilers for having now finished the game, I think it is so much better than the first Respawn Jedi game. Um, you know, uh, Fallen Order. Fallen Order. Thank you. Uh, I think it is. It is improves on that game in, and I think every way. And it is also a game that I think saves its best stuff for the last chunk of, of gameplay. I think it really keeps getting better as you play it. 
and the beginning of the game is nowhere near as good as the end of the game. And I think the last few things that happen in the game are some of the coolest stuff I've played all year. It is a triumph of a Star Wars experience because it feels so Star Warsy, um, and it 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 it, it I. I was surprised remembering what you said, Christian, about you feeling like the story was only so-so. I thought the story was awesome. We'll get into it, obviously, during our spoiler chat. But I wanted to say, mechanically, Jedi Survivor does something that I've always loved and I've always pointed out as being something I loved, but I've, I've, I've sort of conceptualized in a, in a different way post this game. And that is, I love the uh, traversal in this game and how the traversal itself is a puzzle to a certain extent. How do you get from here to here? How do you chain all these cool traversal things that you're able to do? And honestly, it felt a lot like Titanfall 2 in, in certain respects. Like they brought forward some of the things I loved most about Titanfall 2 and brought it into the Star Wars environment. Um, but... You know, and and the game that I kept referencing and I did on the show a couple of times is uh, that no subtitle reboot of Prince of Persia that they did many years ago now, but that, you know, where if you fell, the woman would come and grab your arm and bring you back up. And the whole game was basically just like wall run, chain to double jump, chain to climbing, chain to another wall run, you know, all, all of the getting to the thing was the game. And I loved it, and I felt like Jedi Survivor very much has that element in it, and that's the stuff that I enjoyed the most in playing Jedi Survivor. But the thing that I sort of unlocked about it is it's a QTE sequence without button prompts. And that I love a, when a game is... I, I'm effectively doing a QTE. I'm effectively trying to do my button press to here, to here, to that. I have to do the X, then the B, then the then the A, then the A, then the B, then the X. And it, it is very much that thing, but I'm not th- no, I'm not disconnected from the experience in the sense that I'm looking at very artificial button prompts. When you're in a QTE, you are in a video game, you know, it's like video game because you're pushing the, the letter of the button that's on your controller. But and doing something you don't otherwise normally do, whereas yes, in Survivor, it is the continuation of your mechanics now laid out for you in this glorious way. You're leveraging what you already know to be part of the systems of interface. You know, already this is how I interact with the world. But now I'm leveraging that information in a much more focused, high stakes way. And I want more developers. Like it bummed me out. There's a, a few points in Jedi Survivor where it's like, mash X, you know, which I could feel like I could do a whole podcast on. What is the point <laughs> of mash X? You know, everybody knows that that point in the in every video game where the swords cross and their heroes get in, their faces close. And it's like mash X. I'm like, why? Why am I mashing X? <laughs> Does it have any impact on what's going to happen next? I don't know. I will do it. I'm going to do it. But anyway, bugs me. But anyway, so it 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 bugged me in Jedi Survivor as well. It's like because you have found this pure way 
to get me to do the QTE style thing. It's pure because it's, it's just an extrapolation of the game systems. And I love that. I want more games to do that. Find a way to have the cool, incredibly choreographed action sequence where I'm still in the context of your game and not with the artifice of press this button and then this button and this button so that we can show you the cool choreographed moment. And Spice Man's in it, and to my grave, I will claim that I'm in Star Wars. So no one can take that from me. Like, no song, one. Spice Man, yeah. I am in Star Wars. Thank you very much. It's the best game ever made. The only thing of- that flies in the face of your claim, Christian, is that there's nothing about the song Spice Man in the game that is annoying. No, that's and exactly I just feel- right. It is thematically it, no, it would have to be in, in the game no nope. true the best. homage to you <laughs> best song in the game you can, multiple multiple sites say spice man is the best song in the game it is why people play it it, it really sites. livens up the cantina multiple um, sites steven multiple sites that's a, Look, that's a brilliant impromptu source thank you, thank you. <laughs> i i now give sources the way vitamins give sources, yeah. right? Like it's like Nine recommended out of 10 by doctors, Christian. Not, not doctors, not doctors. Recommended by people who like things. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people really like B twelve. Yeah. So here you go. Yeah. Look, they're all saying, they're all saying that Spice Man <laughs> is in fact me, and it is the best part, uh, best song. Sorry, I overstated. I'm not going to take that away from you. I'm not. It <laughs> is you. in there. You made the Spice Man. I can't. I can't. You know. I'm, There's I'm, no I'm other references that. to spice anywhere in the Star Wars universe that I've ever heard. No one's ever said it. <laughs> um, all right, let's. I know you wanted to talk about uh, a couple of VR games, so let's do a quick VR chat. Everybody's talking game of the year for uh, Tears of the Kingdom, but ladies and gentlemen. My game of the year candidate is humanity. <laughs> humanity! Hell yeah. Humanity! Oh, I love this game. Christian, this game is great. How great is this game? Does not need to be played in VR, I should say. Yeah, Does but it's not so much better. It's so VR. much better in VR. Uh, I was given codes by the publisher. Um, also, Steam Deck is a pretty chill way to play humanity. Um but I want to talk about it here in VR Talk because I think on PSVR 2 is, in my opinion, the definitive way to play the campaign levels of this game. You, there's an awesome, like, build your own, like, infinite level, you know, level creator, and you can play other levels and edit them and do all this stuff. And all that stuff is not available in VR, but the main campaign of humanity is talking about like the puzzles of Tears of the Kingdom, and I'm not trying to take away from them, but the (laughs) the puzzles and progression, clear progression, kind of what you're talking about with what Jedi Survivor does, but of layering on abilities in humanity over the course of the campaign, which I've yet to finish. Uh, I feel like I am close because I do love finishing things. Um, they They keep doing more. Like I got to a point and I'm like, oh, that's cute. I can do that, 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 and that. That's so fun. And then they were like, what about this? And I'm like, that, it's like my brain breaks for a minute because it, it, I'm not exaggerating, fundamentally changes the way that 
you go into a level. And I think for folks playing humanity for the first time, I would implore them to do uh, the campaign first before jumping into some of the brilliant um, user-created levels because they can spoil some of those reveals. And I think the way this game doles out its surprises, it I think it seems like it could be a one-trick pony if you just watch the trailer. It's like, oh, it's Lemmings meets Echo Chrome in some weird way. And yes, but also it is so much more than that. And it plays so very well in VR. I, I continue to be blown away by each new level in humanity and how it, it ups the ante in terms of creativity. It is phenomenal. I agree with that. All of that. Uh, it, it, it feels like it was designed to be played in, in VR. It, it like it enriches the experience in VR. And there's something amazing about, there's nothing a, fundamental to the concept of the puzzles that it needs to be little people, you know, but it, it is like you're literally, you could be flowing water or, or whatever, you know, it, but the fact that it is little people adds so much to the feeling of what I'm doing. It, it is it's such an evocative notion. And especially in VR, when you can just lean your face in close and there's human beings just leaping gleefully over chasms <laughs> and, and moving and, and climbing things. And try, it is, it is, I'm not exaggerating. I I will be sh- shocked if it's not on my top five of the year at the end of the year. I think humanity is a very special experience. I, I agree, Christian, the way it continues to add new twists, every single level almost is, is shocking and amazing. Um, and yeah, it, it plays best in VR because you're immersed in it. It's you're, it's all around you. And it is another example, as I keep bringing up in the VR segment, another example of why VR isn't just for first-person experiences where you're inside it and your hands are tracked. V- VR is also transformative when you are in a third-person game, when you're just a floating, you know, you're just using the VR as a camera to look at, like the the fact that you're still inside that environment and it's happening all around you and you can look around and get around and underneath and over things. And it, that alone is powerful. And uh, I think especially for these, Oh, sorry. I was gonna say, especially for these flow state style games, uh, yeah. other games, Tetris. res yeah. and Tetris effect where you kind of are able to lose yourself in it. And while I have not finished it, like I, as I mentioned before, so maybe there's a left turn coming up, but I do think it being little humans is important narratively. Oh, and sure. The idea of what, and again, this game doesn't need it. It's kind of like Celeste. I would have had as one of my all time favorites, even without the story of coming out and, and anxiety and depression, but th- what they were able to add to that game just further enriched it. And so far with my time with humanity, I feel like the choices they've made of it being little people and what that says and what you're doing and what this universe is um, elevates it from like, Oh, cool. To, incredible yeah agreed this is a team that can make you cry with tetris so like they're really good at, at <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> taking really singular mechanics and giving them meaning in every way i haven't played humanity yet but i love tetris effect and res uh, um, so you I'm are really going to by this yeah. you're gonna flip for it it's so good it's <laughs> yeah. so good it's yeah beautiful and haunting in, in certain ways but also 
it's so clever, so interesting, so surprising on a number of levels over and over, like over and over. I'm just surprised like, Oh wow. It's bending my brain. And it is, um, is gorgeous. I, and I want more games like this where completely playable as a 2d experience if you want to play it on a flat screen and worth worth playing if you don't have a headset yes. please still go get this game very Agreed. much worth playing it's a great i haven't tried it on steam deck but that would be uh that's cool but i i think um i i want more games where it's like yeah also you can play it in vr i hope more more places and i love i would love smaller little you know sort of indie game type experiences more like akin to this to be VR also experiences would be awesome. Um, but Christian, you've been also been uh, golfing a little bit in VR. Yes. <laughs> I have been, uh, I've been walkabouting is what I've been doing yeah. in VR. Walkabout mini golf came out. Well, I don't know, forever ago. It feels like for, uh, other headsets. I had been off my, um, Mids. meta, my med does, my <laughs> med does, uh, uh, by the time this game came out on my Quest One, and I was very excited when I heard it was announced for PSVR Two, and uh, it turns out that everything everybody said about the game was right. Who knew? Uh, it's so very fun, and I bought the Hole in One Edition or whatever it is, which is like the main game plus all the DLC courses, and I think also a promise of the DLC courses to come. And playing this on PSVR Two, it is a simplified you know, um, graphical style, but that's something that fits mini golf very, very well. There's a level, it's cherry blossoms and it's not realistic. It's not, it's, you know, semi cell shaded, I guess is kind of an approach or cartoony, but beautiful and a place where you want to spend time. And it is cross play with other platforms, which I think is really cool and getting all of your friends together and just having again, not played it on any other headset, the haptic feedback of the sense the PSVR Sense controllers, exquisite. I mean, you feel contact with the ball. You're able to tell if you kind of shank your shot because you hit it onto the side. Um, it is such a phenomenal, just standard mini golf experience in those first few levels. And then as it builds, there's one of the levels is, uh, one of the DLC courses is Mist. Uh, there's also oh, Labyrinth, cool. the... the uh, movie uh david bowie labyrinth oh film and i have yet to play that course yet because i've heard it but i've heard it's incredible with like awesome references but the mist course there are puzzles like you're you're misting you know like <laughs> in awesome. a mini golf game i i can't say enough good things about walkabout mini golf it is for me right now the perfect podcast game where like the ambient music it has is really great and really chill but it's also the thing where i'm like i really do want to finish this uh this chat Brendan and Steven are having about Tears of the Kingdom, <laughs> but I also want to be playing a game right now. Walk about mini golf, it is. And um, there's other little mini, you know, finding lost golf balls, like little things yeah. that you can do within within the game itself. And again, having not played the other versions of it, I don't know how good they are, but this PSVR 2 port of Walkabout Mini Golf is, dare I say, almost perfect. It's not, you know, it's not doing something it's not, but as right. a mini golf game. Almost perfect. I might have to pick this up for PSVR too. I, I have it on Quest, um, Quest Two, and uh, I I think I told you a bunch of times I, that for a while Brian Brushwood and I were playing this a lot with like other people, and it would be this cool hangout. It's a cool hangout game, like perfect walking around mini game. golf and Demio in VR. They're like this fun. You're, you're 
you can hang out with people that are hundreds of miles away and feel like you're in the same physical place with them because you're standing right next to them. You're walking around, you know, you're, they're golfing and you're watching their body move. You're seeing their body move <laughs> in VR. Uh, it, it's a very cool experience. And uh, I have not tried it on PSVR 2, but very much uh, played it a bunch on, on Quest 2. And it's a, it's a great One way great where game. I think Quest would maybe be better, and I don't know like how it performs or the rumble in the controller perhaps justifies being tethered, but I am very much aware of the cord and it's the yeah. first PSVR two game I've played where I am like, it does a really good job setting you up next to the ball and this, that, and the other, but I'd imagine that on my quest, I could legit just go in my backyard and walk around <laughs> yeah. the hole, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah. actually play. Um, but it, I think it works really well in the OLED. Like I said, the, the haptics are really great. My only nit, I guess it takes it from being like a quote unquote real mini golf game. And I kind of know why they did this. But like your putter goes through geometry in the world. So like a lot of times yeah. in mini golf, you get that that shot where you're like up against the wall and you get a club's length, you know, or, uh, yeah. you know, you, you can move it four inches and you're kind of doing that awkward little hit. This game doesn't have that. You can just go ahead and get your full swing, which I appreciate because the courses are hard. Well, that's what's um, better it, about not being tethered to human physics. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a plus, Christian. <laughs> Yeah, no one, like, really no one likes that little move where you're like, ah, I can't backswing my putter. <laughs> it's anyway. funny that got Tears of the that. Kingdom. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I want to say it's funny that Tears of the Kingdom is more like real mini golf than this game is. It's like <laughs> following <laughs> physics and putting things together. It's yeah. funny. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not wrong. It's not a great wrong. game. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, Humanity and Walkabout Mini Golf are VR games uh, this week. And this is going to do it. For this episode of DLC, we do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Stephen Hilger, thanks so much for being here. Thanks awesome for chatting me. with you. Likewise. Tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the cool stuff you do online. Yeah, so you can find me at Stephen Hilger. That's Stephen with a P-H, uh, H-I-L-G-E-R. Uh, you can also find me at Stephen Hilger Art on Instagram. And uh, for Into the Aether, the podcast I do, you can find us at intothecast.online. Everything you need is there. We have an upcoming bonus about Paper Mario, The Thousand Year Door, which I'm very excited about. So that's all on the horizon. Awesome. Very yeah. cool. Good stuff on that that show. Uh, folks should check it out. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, not beating Tears of the Kingdom. I'm releasing <laughs> yeah. myself yeah. from that. Experience. Uh, well i had 120 hours of experience did you finish it (laughs) i don't know Uh, (laughs) i do not know i am uh head down editing episodes of feeling this i haven't said this to alex yet so hopefully it might change but kind of a loose goal was to get them out in june or start this summer start with our weekly releases of season two of feeling this um so i am editing away episodes and folks can look for those when they start dropping on fridays again hopefully soon hopefully here you know in the next month or so we'll have them teed up and ready to go uh at our patreon patreon.com slash dlc pod and it's for any level of of backers the first season's there and season two is coming nicely i just gotta finish these edits and get them out we'll have video versions as well as audio versions for folks to check out and if you want to contact me directly you can go to my website christianspicer.com it's got everything there that uh, you'd otherwise need or uh on our discord for this very show dlc come hang out good conversations fun chats deep dives into games the community going through experiencing i apologize tears of the kingdom right now as well 
um, it's a good place to be. So come hang out. Very cool. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I've got other shows for you to check out. Hey, we're, we're, we're doing the, uh, the DLC book club, Lana Bashinsky and I doing the book club, reading books, getting back into reading. We finished up the first book in the Malazan books of the fallen by Steven Erickson. Uh, and now we are about to start the second book, the first episode of the second book, which is called dead house gates. Uh, we will be recording it this week. So it'll be out this week on my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Kanata Jeff audio versions. I got to get those up for patrons, but the audio versions are for patrons. So uh, patreon.com slash DLC pod. Uh, I also do a movie and TV show podcast called the film cast. You can check that out uh, wherever you get podcasts. I do a comedy science show called we have concerns where you can learn something and laugh along the way. And I do a sports podcast called The Fan Controlled Show. And you can get that on Fan Controlled Sports and Entertainment's various channels and wherever you get podcasts. All right. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Steven, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yes, uh, I've been reading a wonderful manga series called Delicious in Dungeon. Mm. Uh, it is a sort of D&D adventure, not like Darkest Dungeon. It's a little lighter. Uh, <laughs> basically, it's a group of adventurers that get trapped in a dungeon and have to learn how to cook monsters to stay alive. Um, so a lot of the early chapters are like, essentially recipe centric oh, so man. they'll like That's find funny. uh w- one of my favorite early ones is they encounter ghosts and the dwarf of the group has a thing of holy water and like makes like a, a mace out of it and swings it through the ghosts and then accidentally makes ice cream and whenever they <laughs> whenever, <laughs> whenever they make food it shows like the stats of the dish and they always oh, look awesome it looks delicious um and so it starts off like really comedic and lighthearted, but it ends up like feeling like a, a high stakes fantasy story that feels earned. And it's a lot about, you know, desire and appetite in all definitions. Um, it's also getting an anime adaptation soon. Maybe this year. I think it was announced this year, at least. So if you want to be ahead of the game, you can read it uh, now. It's, it's a wonderful series. Would highly recommend. Delicious in Dungeon. That uh, looks I I just pulled it up on Amazon. Volume one. Uh, I might have to order this. This looks awesome. Very it's, clever. It's a blast. It's it's really it's a nice balance of like I, I'm always impressed when things can balance tone. Yeah, and they really do pull off being like really funny and silly, but like it has a lot of heart, a lot of drama. It's got everything. Very cool. It's got food. <laughs> it's got food. Hey, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm already in. Uh, Christian Spicer, what is your parting gift? A different music take from me this week and not an album that I'm going to keep listening to on repeat that's going to be regular in my rotation, but one I do want to highlight, and that is Kesha's new album, Gag Order. I've talked about, I think, on the Wednesday show before how much I love reinvention Mm -hmm. um, and kind of this idea of reinventing yourself and not settling and the kind of what Zelda is, right? It's never accepting being one thing and it can be so many other things. And I think a lot of folks saw Kesha as one style of artist for so long and um, maybe forgot about her, even though she had at the time, I think five top singles, like the top five singles were all songs she was involved in a period, which is mind blowing. And she had some 
prolonged legal drama because of uh, alleged abuse that she was suffering. And this album now gag order is, I think her kind of talking about that period in her life in a way that she can, and also acceptance and realizing who you are and what you can be and doing it in a musical way that is so vastly different from what people think of when they think of Kesha. And I think it is so uh, refreshing and brave to put out an album like this um, kind of battling demons and doing it in a way and at a very difficult time in your life and doing it in a way that is very against type for what most people think of you. All that being said, there are also some great songs on the album, but if you think you know who Kesha is and you want to give somebody a chance to be something different, go check out gag order. You can listen to it wherever all that music is available. Awesome. Gag order by Kesha. Uh, My parting gift is a movie that I just checked out on Netflix after having been recommended by a friend. Uh, It is called Carter. Have you guys heard of this movie? It's not new. Uh, It came out a a year ago, a couple years ago. Uh, This is a uh, Korean movie, action movie, that is all one stitched together take so it's it's meant meant to look like one take although it's not really trying (laughs) uh and it is uh probably the most bonkers over the top action movie it's certainly the the most i since rrr but it might actually trump rrr for the most bonkers over the top action it is bonkers this move this movie it is if you thought over the top action, you'd seen over the top action. This is over the redefines over the top. I had a blast with this movie. It's two hours. It is wall to wall action. It's, it's sort of like a born movie in that the main character wakes up, doesn't know who he is. And someone's like, you got to go. And then the action is just nonstop action for the rest of the two hours. And you see the camera do things that it shouldn't be able to do. You see people do things they shouldn't be able to do. It is constantly one-upping itself and getting more outrageous in what happens. It is crazy, this movie. Carter, it is on Netflix. We also got a listener-suggested parting gift. This was sent to us uh, from Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, Isaac writes, um, or Isaac, maybe it's Isaac, I-Z-A-K. Isaac writes, Uh, With Zelda being released, this is a parting gift for people struggling with Joy-Con drift. I purchased purchased the officially licensed Hori Splitpad Pro replacement Joy-Cons about a year ago and couldn't be happier with it. It makes playing handheld mode much more comfortable because of its larger size compared to the Joy-Cons. The analog sticks are much better quality, and best of all, it is cheaper than the Joy-Cons. To achieve this, it sacrificed some features like wireless play and rumble. So there you go. If, you, if you're fine giving up uh, rumble and wireless play, uh, Isaac or Isaac uh, recommends the Hori Split Pad Pro replacement Joy-Cons. Pretty cool. The 8-Bito, the 8-Bito, what is it, complete uh, as well. It's like a... a um... Pro controller replacement that's Hall Effect uh, analog, so they'll never drift. It uses magnets. Also, a great alternative to the uh, Nintendo Switch Pro controller if you're looking for something else. It's good. Awesome. 
If you'd like to have your parting gift read on the show, please send it to us. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Stephen Hilger and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for the awesome bumpers. Our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. Uh, you can buy swag for the show, hats and T-shirts at DLCSwag.com, which was created by Jesse J. Anderson. Thank you, Jesse, for making that. Uh, we need to thank our patrons for making this show possible. Without them, we would not be making DLCs. So thank you, patrons, for supporting the show. If you'd like to be one of them, DLC, uh, excuse me, uh, patreon.com slash DLC pod is where you go for that. Uh, our top tier patrons, the hype train patrons, get their names read out at the end of every episode, which I'm going to do right now. Yeah. It's time for you to listen up and hear about those hype train patrons like Wayne T. Robinson, Tyler Buck, Wild Road, and Stephen T. Seifert, Rob Wonder, Rob Dominguez, and Kevin Eddie. It's Joe DeFrank, it's Scott Lambert, and Brian Yordan. Hyperboy 66, David Epp. Shorio Ken and Curtis from Louisville. Comedian Aaron Trahan, John Cisco and Matt Valdez. Andy Joyce, Michael S, Relentless Rex, and Kyle Starr. Yeah, don't forget about Anthony Goulas and Dan Flanagan and Adam Denby. Don't forget about Riley Knox and Rob Rickman and Hank Patton. Be sure you don't forget about And Cheesy Bob And Victor Valenzuela Jonathan Talbert And Matt Bradley Jeff Luxack and Mitchell Ness Chris Zacharias and Jonathan Putney Mark Dowland Jimmy Radcliffe Markham King Dan Palmino And Ben Scott Hughes and Jenny, Stu Goss, Nate, and Kevin Brazel. Oh yeah, and uh, Will with one L Harris. Can't forget him. And Jonathan Spice spent forever Schlepfer and Zachary White. And Yick and Soren Silk, Travis, Albert of the Stuff and Junk Show Podcast, Mike Lombardo, yeah, and the Spice Man Silencer, and Jackson, Michael Stadler, Michael Buck, and Peter Olberg, and Jad. Oh, don't forget. 
forget ya. And Nick Strauss Klein and Josh Peak, Octavian Ratziu, Jason Novak, and Taylor Wigert and Christian Bravery. The hype train patrons that keep our train moving along. <laughs> Thank you! All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.